welcome to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro, powered by Beyond, where we dive heart first into all things events in the nonprofit world. I'm Amy Milne, your host and CEO of Beyond and the Nonprofit Event Society, where we believe that your events matter. You're not just hosting an event, you're inviting people to join you in changing the world. We're here to talk tricks of the trade and share tales from the trenches so you can produce epic events that inspire participants, raise more money, and change lives. Let's dive in. I am beyond happy to welcome Becky Mitz, Vice President, Community at MS Society of Canada to this show today. Becky has spent her career dedicated to creating a better life for the people she serves, both as a leader and as a nonprofit event pro, fundraiser, and marketer. Becky is one of the best in the biz and a good human to boot. Today, she will talk to us about the importance of growth and change in your nonprofit event portfolio, as well as the community the MS Society events have created and continue to cultivate to ensure success for all. Let's get real. Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks, Amy. It's so good to see you, hear you. I know. It's been a while. It's been a while. I know you, and we also just got a minute to catch up before we press record, but I would love our listeners, our good humans, to learn more about you because I think you're pretty epic. So I think Uh you need to share. I think I'm pretty epic too. Thank you. Good. I love that. (laughs) My name is Becky. I'm the Vice President of Community at MS Canada, formerly known as the MS Society of Canada. We just recently went through a renaming and about to launch a rebrand of the organization, which we're thrilled about. I've been with MS Canada in this iteration for eight years, but I'm what is called a rebound employee. So started my career earlier off at the MS Society, left, got to know you, Amy, at the Canadian mm-hmm. Chaser Society, and then came back. And the majority of my career up until recently moving into this vice president role has been almost entirely in the peer-to-peer fundraising realm. So lots of events ranging from you know the beginning of my career galas, art auction, community fundraising, community events to going to the MS Society and doing MS Walk, cause marketing, and then moving to the Canadian Cancer Society, where I led a Relay for Life and Special Events team in Ontario, which is where I got to meet you, Amy, and then coming back to MS Canada, where I've got to play different, a few different hats with events, with marketing, and now leading our entire community portfolio, which is no everything. Big no big deal. deal. <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's everything, you know, when people ask me what my job is, because it's a strange title, right? You know, it's yeah. <laughs> a VP of community. It's everything the organization does in community. So it's the delivery arm of the organization. So whether that's our fundraising events, so MS Walk and MS Bike, our third party enterprise, but also our programs and services and, and volunteering engagement. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a yeah. It's that's amazing. A, me, yeah, there's so many things to unpack here. So, tell me, there's so many things I want to ask from like the rebrand to the P2P. So, let, since you mentioned the rebrand right off the bat, and I'm super intrigued about that, and I know so many of our listeners probably either think their organization should do a rebrand or they're in the midst of it. Why don't we start there? Because that's super new and fresh off the off the charts for you guys. So, tell me a little bit about that and how you guys how the organization got there and and what it's entailed. 
You know, well, I think first I have to give a lot of credit to a couple of my colleagues at MS Canada. So Pam Cito, who's our vice president of marketing and digital, she's got a fancy title that I'm not going to remember. <laughs> and then Nimrata Perry, who's our director of marketing, and is just a dynamo when it comes to organizational brand and, and strategy. But really, I think, you know, like a lot of health charities, we're, we're old. We've been around mm-hmm. for decades and we're established at a certain time where society was a word that was used, right, for clubs, for groups of people coming together. And now when you, when you think of the word, you know, society, right, there's a bit of past to that. And I think it makes us feel a bit dated. So MS Canada is straight to the point. We're the only multiple sclerosis charity in Canada. And so it's simple, it's clear, and it feels just more of like a now. So when we think about really reaching that next generation of people affected by multiple sclerosis, which 12 Canadians are diagnosed with MS a day, it's really important that we have a brand that reflects today. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. What 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 does a rebrand look like? Like, I mean, for you in events oh, and what you were running oh, before, oh, like, what is that... What, like, how granular, how, like, how has, how has your donor base and participant base, I know it's not rolled out just yet, this is all sneak peek type stuff, but how has it been, you know, sort of accepted through the organization, embraced? Yeah, Yeah, so we haven't, we haven't launched yet. So, you know, I would tell anybody who's listening, you know, check out our website, you know, later on this spring to really see what it looks like. But I think like anything, you know, Amy, we were just talking about the pandemic and living through the last few, Mm -hmm. few years and coming out of it. It's a really great time for the organization from an events perspective to go through this shift because we're, it really kind of feels like the next chapter in our peer to peer portfolio as an organization. So we have a couple of longstanding programs that have been around for 30 plus years. MS Walk, MS Bike. I've like to say we've always like punched above our, our weight in the walk and yeah. cycling in the peer-to-peer industry. When you look at other health causes, cancer, heart, things that are a bit more prevalent or well-known from a, a brand mm-hmm. perspective. And then our third-party portfolio, which is growing when a lot of peer-to-peer programs saw decline over the last few years, our We Challenge MS program has actually seen some pretty significant growth. And we've been able to build that program, which we're really proud of. But it's the next chapter, right? I think, you know, we're using this time as, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we're rebranding as an organization to really write that next chapter for that portfolio in our organization. So, you know, what is it going to look like in in 10 years and 15 years? And I think the decisions that we're making today, which honor the past, but really setting us up for the future are going to be fundamental in that. Yeah, I love the I love the honor the past. I mean, I think because so much, so much has been done up till now and there's, which has set this incredible foundation for your organization to then take it to that next level. And what is, you know, as, as organizations evolve, so do how we help people, how diseases are cured, how treatments happen, what kind of money is needed, those types of things. So to stay with what was, and I know you and I have had conversations over the years to, because <laughs> we tried to do some stuff at another organization we worked at in terms of like what, like challenging that history. I mean, we we worked together years ago on on Relay at Canadian Cancer Society, and we we tried at that time to change some things, and it was met with not always happy people. But because history matters to people. And so it it sounds like your organization and your teams are well on the way to making something pretty magical happen with intentional thought. And I think that's the biggest thing is, or at least what I hear is that 
Your team has been incredibly intentional about the why. And I think that that's something that other organizations can can learn from for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we did some really foundational work on some of our programs pre-COVID, which we're now being able to actually fully leverage and utilize, which I'm really thankful for, right? Like, it's not like we had a magic eight ball. We didn't guess (laughs) this. We didn't wish upon this. But I I remember back, I think it would have been 2019, 2018, brought together leaders. And at that time, MS Canada, you know, formerly MS Society Canada, we were in a federated model, right? So Mm -hmm. I come into this role leading our events portfolio, but we had divisions, right? You know, working on the same product, same strategy, but how it was executed could look really different across the country. But we had a group of leaders who really loved the programs. And I think specifically about our bike program, which, you know, pre-COVID was pretty steady at $8 million a year and just stable, right? So it's seen some growth over the years, you know, and it also kind of like weirdly like the second child as an organization would be walk, 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 walk. And then like, oh, yes, bike also happens. Right. Now, that time we were the second largest peer-to-peer cycling fundraising event in the, in the country, but we weren't talking about it that way. But what you know, I discovered is we have these leaders who love the program and had been trying to advocate for it and invest in it and just for being lost. And so, you know, strategically invested in bringing them together and do a little bit of dismantling. If you know, why, why do we have it? Where do we want to see it? And really bringing them along in the process, you know, going through actually a rebrand specifically for our bike program, coming in and really identifying like who's our audiences today, but who's our audience of tomorrow. I'm really thankful we did all that work pre-COVID. So now actually coming back to it, it's interesting. Right? I see a lot of organizations kind of not scramble, but, you know, really think about, you know, future state mm-hmm. of their programs we that foundational work built which wow. is a good place to be that's some incredible foresight that you and the teams that you work with had and just sets you up for huge success moving forward yeah. so tell me a little bit about your event department and how it's run because i mean there's you know our listeners are everybody from small nonprofits to large you've mentioned third party p2p so i'd love just to understand how your you know how does your third party event department run and what does that look like what's it made up of and then talk a little bit more about walk and bike and what might be coming in the future yeah so we've gone through a bit of a reorganization over the last few years and have brought all so we're no longer in a federated model so we've Huge. united our team across the country as a full organization and so you know now we have a portfolio called community fundraising and that's our walk team our bike team our third party team spread out across the country team members, you know, from coast to coast to coast, you know, that operate in these programs with focus. So we developed a team that's focused on walk, focused on bike, focused on third party, but also because we're small, you know, I think people look at us and, you know, assume maybe we're larger than we are, but we don't have an incredibly large team. So that, you know, with the idea of being, you know, I might be a walk coordinator, but I also support bike in my community. I also sell third party. I can talk to it. I can steward people in my community. And this kind of mix, right? It doesn't work for everybody. You know, for the people that need that list of like, here's exactly what my job is that, you know, it could be difficult, but we've really created, I think, a culture and continue to develop it being community facing. So our third party program, again, right before COVID and not because we, again, we thought a pandemic was happening, but, you know, when I looked at the portfolio at the time in my old job, you know, a senior director of events and marketing, and I looked at our third party program, it was making about a million dollars a year. So it was okay. And it was healthy, but we weren't 
doing much from a strategic focus to expand on the program. So, you know, and really kind of looking at why that was. And part of it was our how we were telling the story of third party. Mm-hmm. Now, like any good fundraiser, we wanted to highlight all of the big fundraising events. So we had, you know, a boxing event that raised, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for us. Or epic, like, you know, independent cyclers that would, you know, do the Arctic Circle and raise $100,000. And, you know, that's awesome. And we want to tell that big story. But we weren't telling the narrative of everything, you know, from the girl selling lemonade in support of her aunt who lives with MS to those massive gala events. And there's a whole breadth of stories in there. And, you know, and what happens when you only focus on those big shiny things is that there's a lot of people who can't see themselves in the program. And my totally becomes really scary. Really? Like, scary. What, like if I can't, what do you mean? I, I have to raise a hundred thousand dollars. I can't do that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's huge. That. Even though we had the infrastructure of like, you can just, you know, do whatever you want. Only telling those big stories, right. Wasn't doing us a favor. So really wanted to focus on making sure it was an accessible program in the sense of from our marketing, from the way the website looked to how we talked about it. It was anything and everything and telling enough different types of stories that people could see themselves into it. And then also looking at making it really easy. So, you know, we had a system that was kind of clunky and never developed for third-party fundraisers. They were developed for the large peer-to-peer events, like our walk program and our bike program, where it was great, but we didn't actually have the right digital infrastructure to support our fundraisers. And so invested quite heavily in a new online CRM, so Constituent Relationship Management System, with the focus on, yes, it has to fit our walk and bike programs, but we also have to make sure our third party organizers and our, you know, IFEs, independent fundraisers, you know, have the right system. And we're not just trying to fit them into something that doesn't work. So being more specialized. And the other thing we did, which I'm really excited about was I got really interested in the content creation space, content creator about four or five years ago. I think it's when, you know, I'm not a gamer. Right. I never I never heard of Twitch before then, but then I was learning that it was like a billion dollar industry. And I was like, oh my goodness. And then, you know, coming back and looking at it, realizing that we had a pretty healthy community of gamers and actually the person leading it from a third party perspective was on our leadership giving team. And he was doing this as a volunteer project. So we actually moved him over to our third party team. He's on our, we challenge MS team. Oh my God. I love that. Because I was like, you know what? I know nothing about gaming, but you know where I think we need to be investing time and resourcing into is gaming. Now we, you know, now I know it's not just gaming, it's content creation, but actually, you know, investing in a person, a people resource who's doesn't also like just know the community, he's in the community. And so really being strategic about that infrastructure piece for the program. And so last year, I think we were looking at around 2.5 million. So if you think $1 million, you know, a few years ago to 2.5, we're still small, but pretty significant growth that we're really, really excited about. That's huge. I mean, I, I want to highlight a few of the things that you've said because I think it's so important. It's a few things you said that I that I love is that you wanted your your customer, your donor, your participant to see themselves, right? Like they need to know that they can access that and and be a part of the community and be a part of your organization in a way that matches them. And I think that is so important because I I you know, we watch big brands, not just nonprofits, but we watch big brands go the big side and we we forget that we have this you know, you had a $1 million business that turned into a $2.5 million business. Like that's, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's a lot of money. That's a lot more lives changed and programs started. Yeah. 
And the other thing you said, which I think is so, it's, I think it's almost indicative of where we, sh- the industry needs to go, but we've done a really good job in the nonprofit sector to make things as confusing as possible. <laughs> like, like, and I think it's because, you know, we work with so many different peoples often without a focus or you started here and it grew here and we grabbed this and the technology is changing. And, you know, you were thoughtful, which is the other point I want to make is you were very thoughtful, you and your organization to like, what this was going to look like. You're like, we have this. So what are we going to do with it? And how are we going to be thoughtful? I love that. And, you know, when you talk about the Twitch piece, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole new industry that some of us aren't necessarily supposed to know about. You know, my son is in, he's at Humber for game design. And my girlfriend who's in HR has basically said, there's no one in his field over the age of 35. So that says to me, as we look at our industry, and clearly you saw that, you know, grab the guy from the other side and put him on your team, which is so smart, is that we, you know, doing things the way we've always done them isn't going to get us further into the future. And we may not know what the future is, but we got to find the people to do it. Oh, you have to find the people to do it. And you also have, and I have to give our CEO, Dr. Pam Valentine, a lot of credit. Because I remember talking to her specifically about the gaming piece, right? Because we were promoting it and I had to be like... Pam, it's not safe for work. So, you know, like we can go into this space, you know, if you want to want to log in, you know, kind of feeling this sense of nervousness because, mm-hmm. you know, well, Amy, you have a son, you know, in this space. Yep. Like, it is it is different. It is a community and the language and discourse mm-hmm. is different, you know, but it's a community of people who really show up for one another and who really care. But, you know, I think with some other leadership, it could have been like, absolutely not. Like, we're right. not going to get on Discord or we're not going to do this or it can stay on this side, but we're not going to promote it because it doesn't yeah. sound like us, right? Or it can make us uncomfortable. And instead, it's been really embraced at all levels of the organization. It's a community of people. And Amy, they show they show up in such big ways for each other. And in relationships, this is, again, new to me. I met my husband before Axe, you know. <laughs> I met my, I met my <laughs> boyfriend. I met my husband in high school. We passed a note. Like, we passed a note, a friend passed a note to say, like, will you be my boyfriend? Like, I don't know what dating you know, apps are. Online relationships, like, that's, you know, I haven't formed significant online yeah. relationships. <laughs> my relationships, you know, significant ones are, you know, have been, you know, formed person to person. So I think I went into a preconce- preconceived notions, mm-hmm. you know, of what this community was like, but such deep relationships and such oh, an amazing, beautiful group of humans mm-hmm. that I feel so lucky to have not only engaged with from an organizational, but have gotten to know on the on the people side. It's been such an amazing experience. That's really cool. It's yeah, it's really neat to see. I definitely see it through my kids in terms of just even how they help each other out. Like just even watching my kid at school, how they'll talk to each other and share things. And so you know, and, and what you've said many times about them is that they are a community and a community is what you need to build. And you know that as we build communities in this, in our organizations and in our lives, amazing things happen. And what's super neat about, you know, going into the, the digital space is that those communities exist. So how you decide to engage in there is like, it's up to you. I mean, the sky almost feels like the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, this guy's a little bit, which is also interesting, right? So I remember, you know, over the last few years, like every organization, we've had a lot of conversation about where we need to be and where we need to invest in. And, you know, there was lots of conversations when we were, you know, 
going to virtual events because we couldn't have the, you know, in-person physical mm-hmm. events about, you know, what was that online digital infrastructure. And for some of our programs, walk and bike specifically, all we had to do was create a Facebook group. And that was it. And they just <laughs> like, they showed up. And it was funny because I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. So there is like testing out and going into new spaces. But I think that piece of like really knowing your audience, if we had tried to get some of our cyclists into like a virtual reality type world, mm-hmm. well, sure, for some of our guys who runs with maybe, but like, you know, all we had to do was open up a private group and invite right. them to join and give them the space to connect. And now those online communities are thriving. So it's been a real mix of, wh- of where we need to be and how we need to yeah. show up. And so tell me a little bit. So when you're you're talking about these communities, where do you as an organization and where does your team fit into to those communities? Like how, where do you support them? What do you offer them? What is the ask like? Like, you know, it's great if we have community, but you and I know you you can't change lives with community, you change lives with money and people. And so you've got the people. So where does the money piece come from there? Yeah. So this is something I love to talk about, Amy, because it's something MS Canada has been historically really, really good at. So our stewardship and fundraising coaching efforts, I'm going to say are like best in class. And it's the reason why earlier when I said historically we've punched above our weight, that's why we have a history of it, of staff who've come long before me, who just like really understood the power of empowering people to go out and raise money on our behalf and how to structure those conversations and then we've, you know, obviously evolved during the year where it's, yes, it's doing that one-to-one coaching. It's also providing people with the right tools and online infrastructure to be able to do that. And I think, Amy, something that you and I have talked about, you know, a lot over the years, make it really clear. So, you know, when you register for one of our initiatives, one of our peer-to-peer events, you know you're expected to raise money. Like, it's not... <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> you know, and so for our bike program, we do have an enforced fundraising minimum and registration piece expectation is set from there. Our fundraisers on average, though, raise almost three times that amount. For our walk program, because of our community, right, people living with multiple sclerosis, there's different financial realities, Mm -hmm. physical realities for members of our community. So when we structure our community fundraising portfolio, it's really important for us that we have a whole variety of options that are accessible. Mm -hmm. So regardless, you know, if you are impacted by MS, you have an option. So for walk, we purposely don't put a registration fee. We have a suggested minimum. We don't enforce it, but still everything's about being fundraising focused. So our language is fundraising. What we're doing with the money is, you know, front and center, but we don't hide behind that. And I'm really proud. We have a small and mighty team right now and nobody is afraid to talk about that. I think, you know, we're all, we all have a really good understanding as fundraisers, how our work fits into the strategic direction of our organization and creating a role free of MS. So, you know, people understand their role in that. Yeah, you have to, you have to ask. So I don't know, Amy, that one, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit funny because, you know, we have these communities, but they're around, they're around a cause. So we don't have to worry about inserting the fundraising lingo. Or right. maybe live in there because it's there, it's there from the start. It's kind of been there. And you yeah. continue to be proud of it and share it and speak about it versus be afraid of it and bury it at the bottom of an email. Well, and set the expectation. So even at our, you know, we have lots of teams for walk, right? Where everybody will rally around a team captain. So there, you know, there's a lot of those zero dollar fundraisers. 
which some people really care about. I really don't. I think Amy, yeah. you and I may be on the same page about this. Like it's mm-hmm. easier to get a $5,000 fundraiser to raise $5,000 more than it is a $0 to yep. raise a hundred dollars to be smart. Yeah, we don't. Maybe for less than zero dollar. Like it's kind of like we always used to say. We've always said like, uh, you know, it's kind of like like they're never going to leave their partner. Like it's like they're just they're not. If they're not going to raise a dollar, they're not going to raise a dollar. Like they're just they're not going to leave. Like it's just one of those things. So focus on the people that are even like five dollars. Like someone who's taken a step. Yes. And if they, some will take big steps right away because they, they get it, they understand it, they've done it before. I think we still always have to, you know, I think the zero balance fundraiser, it's great to help them and coach them in the beginning, but that's not where the focus is when you're like six months out from your event or four months out. It's really who are those people who've started and then show them the love and help them because they've, they've started. So yeah. sometimes, you know, not everybody knows how to fundraise. It doesn't matter how well versed we are in it. It's still new to people. It's still, they've maybe never done it before. And there's so much now with most of the systems where you can just automate it and gamify so much of the journey is that, Amy, to your point, you focus on the people who are taking the steps, right? You make sure they have the personalized touch points. Mm -hmm. You can kind of let the system do a lot for those $0 people. Like they, you know, they'll get the notifications. They'll go in the system. Also for us, like I'm really big on, you ask them for money at the event. And I remember, you know, talking about that people being like, oh, we can't, like they've done nothing. Like if, you know... (laughs) (laughs) They may have supported their team, but like they're at a fundraising event. Like if I'm putting up at a fundraising event registered and I've done zilch, I should, I expect to be asked for money. It's kind of weird not to. So, you know, we're implementing tip tap a lot of our big events this year. So it's really easy. You can make that donation. So yeah, you focus on the people who are active and those people tell you right away. So even if it's a new participant, if they're updating their page and, you know, Mm -hmm. uploading a photo, from the moment of registration tells you a lot about that person and how committed mm-hmm. they are. So I think really looking into those behaviors is, is really important. And yeah, letting go, letting go of the people. <laughs> like give them a nice big hug and like say, yay, thanks. Or tap your phone, like give us something on yeah. you know, a day. I think, you know, that's a better area of focus than doing like a, you know, having so much staff and volunteer time yeah. focused on chasing down these people. Totally. So for your peer-to-peer, because also we've we've spent time over the years talking about it and hearing it at conferences and stuff is like, is that amount of people that come back. So what is your, you know, those who come back year over year versus new? Because they're also two two different buckets, right? Like and our numbers, Amy, are wild since COVID. So like I don't know if we have a stable retention rate anymore. It used to be about 50-50 for both walking oh, bike. I don't yeah. really quite remember what our third party was. But for, yeah, cycling and walk 50-50, during COVID, we basically didn't recruit new people. So it was our base that stayed with us. They showed up. They raised more money than ever before. We went down significantly, but like they really showed up. I don't think that's a narrative that is that different from other organizations. And strategically, right, that's what we were investing in. So we kept focusing on recruiting new for third party, but for walk and bike, especially our bike program, like... 
you know, we did the best we could in a virtual environment. You know, we had decided with all that great bike strategy I talked about before to really actually lean into the in-person nature of our events. <laughs> we made cycling events where, you know, we saw the Zwift and the Pelotons and, you know, all of this virtual cycling stuff happening around us. We decided, and I still believe in it now in a pre-pandemic world, that that's not our space or our laneway. Our laneway is that two-day incredible event experience community. So yeah, we didn't really recruit very many new people at all. So now that we're back in in person, that's shifting, right? Because that's going to be really significant to not only rebuilding to where we were, but to grow in the program, which I feel so strongly we're equipped in the right place to do. So our retention rates are a lot higher. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting watching all of our KPIs over the next few years Mm -hmm. and whether they go back to like 2019 levels or if it's like a new world and it's, you know, we can't actually rely on the data trends that we thought, or I don't know, we just took for granted or for like word of God in some ways. (laughs) I think that's so smart because it's, it is a different space. It is a different, you know, it's, we're going to see people that never wanted to do something. We're going to see people that, you, you know, are now enlightened by doing good for the world because the world is hurting in multiple ways. And so, you know, as we've we've talked about as a as a world, I mean, not everybody's taking care of themselves, but within circles, we're trying to do better. And so it'll be really interesting to see what that do better looks like and for which organizations. And I think some like I think yours is going to be one that shines given the leadership that you've spoken about, your own leadership, your foresight, you're your focused on the right things. And I think that's what's going to be amazing for anyone and everyone who listens to this episode is that, you know, you don't have to do it all. And, and Jamie Lamont from Sick Kids said a few things similar to like what they're doing at Sick Kids too, is they're evaluating like what is really important and ultimately it's your people. It sounds like your organization, because not every organization is a huge fan of events or nor do they give it the street cred they deserve, which is part of my soapbox sometimes to stand on in terms of, you know, we did talk about a conference where there wasn't a lot of sessions for us event people. Does your, like it sounds like, but could you, does your organization support and see the value in your, in your events? Absolutely. And for anybody to like go on our website, read our strategic plan, right? You'll see a lot of words around collective action, empowering the MS community. And so that's something that we have a really firm understanding of is that we need large number of people large numbers of people to come together to take action, right? That's how we're going to achieve positive change. That's how we're going to put the, you know, move the needle forward. And events are a brilliant way of doing that, right? Like what better, you know, venue in terms of really galvanizing a large amount of support in communities across the country to come together to take action. So it is a really critical part. I mean, it's part of our DNA. We've had, you know, events as part of our DNA for a really long time, but it's really, you know, it's embraced. Events are an entry point into the organization. So, you know, really thinking about that as a really key investment into growing our larger community from a fundraising perspective, moving people into a pipeline, right? We've seen major donors come, you know, through our events, you know, board members, sponsors, you know, really understand the importance of 
that. But like also there's large numbers of people who want to do something, you know, and they might not be the next donor, but they're going to get involved in our advocacy campaigns. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to take a look at our programs and services and get tapped into a really, you know, meaningful way. So we really understand that as an organization, we really celebrate our events, you know, over, over there. So they're really front and center. Now you speak of, and that's amazing. And that like warms my heart when it comes to all things events in the nonprofit space, for sure. Now you speak of, you know, you've spoken of all the history and the events that have, have been, do you have your sights on new as you head into this next? Like where is MS going in terms of taking some risk? So we are looking at new and it's funny, I have this kind of philosophy, you know, there's always you know, the what's next, you know, I think Amy, you've heard that 10 in your career after in 10 in my career to be like, what's the next bike event? Be like, like, I don't, like, I don't actually know. And I think there's a lot of brainstorming you can do, you know, you can hire some really smart people to come in and take a look, but you know, I'm really focused in what's coming out of our retail MS portfolio and what we're seeing as trends. My philosophy is like our community is probably telling us what's next. Like, you know, there wasn't people in a boardroom who decided like MS walk should happen group of people came together to take action against something, you know, that they felt powerless against. And so we're being smarter about looking at trends. So we're looking right now at some pickleball stuff, which is really interesting, which is some huge success in pickleball, you know, this year with an event just outside of Toronto. MS Readathon, which is one of our oldest fundraising programs, you know, have completely reimagined to be in a digital space. So it's not new, but it looks new and it feels new. Our whole, you know, strategy behind it has shifted and it's gamified. You know, kids read books, they stand to fundraise and they get a little avatar. And the more they fundraise, the more they read, they get outfits for their little avatar. They can change it. They unlock certain things. And so, yeah, really listening and then trying it and trying it smartly, right? So for some things, you know, we're investing quite heavily in because the data is showing us or what we're hearing is, you know, there's a lot. And then other things, you know, a little bit more conservatively, we're still coming out of a pandemic. pandemic. We were hit pretty hard. And so being really smart about how we're investing, but listening, you know, investing and like failing fast, which, you know, I'm sure Amy, a lot of people are saying, you know, but the faster we can fail and really take, take some key learnings, you know, get out of it and, and move on. Yeah. Well, cause you can only connect the dots when you look backwards. So if you don't take the risk and you don't try something new, you'll never know if it's going to work or not, right? Yeah. So that's, and I and I think that that's something, again, to highlight what you just said in terms of looking at your third-party event program to see what's happening in there because that they're creating these events out of whatever they're doing or whatever they're thinking about. And it's a good place to watch because while you're focused on the bigger stuff, you've literally got this event pool of ideas that's just bubbling for you and to be strategic to look at those and then, you know, how you partner with them or support them to grow is a pretty smart thing to do. And I think any organization could do that. So to, you know, to take any, you know, I think there's a lot of takeaways in our conversation today, but I definitely, even if someone just looks at their third party event portfolio and went and goes, who's doing really well, we should, you know, see how we might be able to help or support. Yeah. I think the interesting thing too about the way we're structured is in my portfolio, I always have programs and services. And I don't think there's a lot of organizations where, you know, there's somebody who owns both portfolios. And so we're actually in testing mode for a new platform for our peer-to-peer program, our peer-to-peer support, where it's going to be a platform just like a dating app match. You go, you fill a profile, you know, you get matched, you can pick and choose lots of cool things and threads. But I think about that technology solution, right? Like in the peer-to-peer, like we're constantly looking at the new technology and how Mm -hmm. to, 
you know, make things better, how to connect people. And so taking learnings and then also vice versa. So, you know, there's lots of things that come through our programs or program, you know, feedback Mm -hmm. that we can just take in a bit of a different scope. It's awesome. You're doing so many amazing things. I love it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, this I yeah. love it. And also like very excited if you if you can't tell. Yeah. No, I think it's great. I mean, you're always a very happy and excited individual. I have it has been my pleasure to have watched you grow and seen you become this incredible human that you continue to just expand to be. Anyone who gets to work with you or for you is blessed and beyond lucky. So I've always been very proud to have you in my in my circle. And I think what you're doing at MS, along with your colleagues, is is should be watched and should be watched closely. So I have a couple of questions though before we end. What are you reading or watching these days? Oh my gosh. Just for fun. What am I reading and watching for fun? Maybe this will be giving like too much away, but like I am all into like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. So like just finishing the spare, watch the Netflix documentary, can't get enough. Which is funny. I've never been like a, I would say like a royal fan or, you know, Mm -hmm. a monarchist, but like very into (laughs) right now. That's awesome. And what do you like to do when you're not at work? No, I work. So I have two kids. I have a one and a half year old, Eloise, and a five year old named Ben. Our five year old is so active and into like every sport imaginable. So we do a lot of sports and a lot of activities in this house, which I love. I'm an active curler, which is like very, like, I feel like small town Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> love it. And then trying to fit in, like, I think we all are, you know, with young families, careers, managing it. It's, you know, finding the time for like friends. Yep. It's important. It's yeah. really important. We didn't get to see them for a few years. So yeah. it's kind of nice if we get to see them now. Yeah. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. I don't think this will be the only time that you'll ever be on this because I know I'll want to have you back. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your amazingness with our good humans. If people want to get hold of you and pick your brain about all of the magic you're creating, how can they do that? Yeah, the best way is to send me an email. So becky.mitz at mscanada.ca. I'm like hit or miss on, on social media. You can find me on Twitter at joyful <laughs> underscore Bex. Event time, I'm really active, you know, and then I, I have long periods of dormancy, but you can find me there as well. Sweet. And we'll link that to the show notes and we'll eagerly be watching to see all of the new branding stuff. Maybe you'll have to introduce me to one of the your colleagues and they can talk to us about some of that as well and further expand on the marketing side of stuff. But this has been a pleasure. So thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Amy. Thanks so much for listening and doing good in the world. We see you. We can't wait for you to join us next time when we hear from another good human who will share their story along with tips and tricks that will help you execute extraordinary events that are sure to have a lasting impact on your participants, beneficiaries, donors, and colleagues. Make sure you follow Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show so other nonprofit event pros just like you can find our podcast so they too can create events that matter. Tune in next week to laugh, cry and cheer with us on another episode of Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro. See you soon. Hey, 
Hey, good human. Are you hitting roadblocks with your events and marketing and need a bit of help to take it to the next level? We've got you. Sign up for our monthly hot seat coaching where we will answer your questions live on the podcast. That's right. You'll get to join me, Amy Milne, and my colleague, Lisa Cohen, right here on Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro Podcast. And we will share our expertise to help you with your specific questions. Sound good? Great. Fill out the quick form by following the link in the show notes and we'll take it from there. We're stoked to have you on the podcast, Good Human Listener, to guide you through your current challenges. Keep it real.